Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. There are four candidates competing for three slots in the 2019 Republican primary election for at-large Fisher City Council. One of those candidates is incumbent Rich Block. I spoke with Rich Block Tuesday afternoon, March 26th. I'm at the Ignite Space in the Hamilton East Library right here in downtown Fishers. Uh, If you'd like to come down and do something artistic, you have 3D printers, all sorts of art supplies. We're recording this particular production at the AV studio where there's television production equipment and perfect acoustics for any kind of audio recording, which is what we're doing today. So if you'd like to have a tour of the Ignite Space, come anytime. The Hamilton East Library here in Fishers is open. The librarians would be more than happy to give you a full tour. We continue our uh, discussions with candidates for office in the primary election coming up. And on the Republican side, Rich Block is a candidate for re-election. He is an incumbent at-large city council member. Rich, you've been on our podcast before. It's great to have you back. Thank you, Larry. Glad to be here. Um, You've now served on the Fisher City Council for nearly five years. I always have to explain this to people who are not from here. We had a one-year transition from a town to a city, so we had our first city election. It was a one-year term. The next election the next year was for the normal four-year cycle. So it's been almost five years you've been on the council uh, since Fishers became that second-class city. We are a growing uh, community. So we all have voters or potential voters out there who may be new to Fishers, may not know you weren't around four years ago when you ran last time. Just spend a minute or two talking about yourself. Sure. Well, it's interesting. You you noted uh, in the beginning about being in downtown Fishers, Larry, and uh, certainly, you know, I think it's a defined downtown now that you and others recognize. So I'm, I'm really pleased about that. But a little bit about myself. Um, my background is in commercial real estate. Um, you know, I bring, as a developer, owner, Uh, that to the council. I think you know that I've served on the planning commission the entire time that I've served on the council. And I guess, if you will, that background and experience, I think, helps in in a lot of ways as we review land use decisions, as we review even economic development decisions. You know, I think I, I bring both experience and a perspective there. But I guess what I would also say, and I think what has been pleasing to me, is that each person on the council seems to have an area of interest and focus and, you know, bringing a unique value. Uh, Todd Zimmerman, as you know, is very involved in the mental health. Cecilia, uh, a strong advocate for uh, the disability community. And, you know, I think those are good examples of what each of us do. But um, I I guess for me, um, you know, I wasn't sure how long I'd serve on the council. Honestly, I didn't know if this would be you know, enough. Um, I never intended to have it serve as a platform for anything, but uh, because it's been, you know, really such a good positive experience and I think we we really are getting things done, I, I decided to run again. So I'm, I'm pleased about that. You may have answered my second question, which was why you made, how you made the decision to run for another term. I think you mostly answered that, but anything you want to add? You know, I don't think so, but I, I think if if it was, you know, uh, controversial or, uh, you know, I, I think I've referenced this actually. Uh, we had a, an event last week and uh, Scott actually helped host it for Scott us. Scott Fadness. The that, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes, Scott Fadness. Thank you. Um, 
you know, he is such a visionary and a an active doer. Um, you know, I'm so impressed with him just as a young you know, leader, manager of a, an, a large organization. His management skills are terrific. Yet he also, you know, has taken the initiative in so many areas. It's, it's not just pure economic development, as you know. I mean, you, you know, the mental health initiative was really his brainchild. Launch Fishers, he was a big part of. Um, now the Hub and Spoke, you know, these these areas take us in, you know, quite frankly, pretty unique um areas which are exciting for the community. And I, I think that's what makes it fun. I mean, you know, I, while I have a real estate background, I, I honestly don't think if it was just pure economic development that it would be as exciting or, or interesting to me. So that that's what uh, made the decision easy for me to run. So as you seek this next four-year term, uh, sort of explain to me um, what issues are important to you. What will you be telling the public about your campaign for another four years? You know, I would start with just uh, continuing the momentum, um, you know, and I can speak to this even really within the real estate community and, and let's say the business community, um, that what we have created is driving interest for others. And, um, you know, good examples of that are uh, DMC, the insurance company that decided to locate here. Um, I know Joe DeVito uh, and, you know, his team, his manager key management team, and they intentionally chose Fishers because they felt like it was going to be a, an attraction to uh, employees and, and others. And, um, you know, I know they're very happy with their decision. Bradens are another good example. I mean, when the Bradens made the decision to move downtown, uh, in fact, uh, uh, they they noted that their uh, job applicants increased tremendously. I mean, to me, they've probably built the preeminent building in Fishers. I mean, it's a beautiful building. And you are in And we're a tenant. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy about that. But uh, I, And I've known the Bradens, well, particularly Dave, for a long time. And, um, you know, they similarly made the decision. I mean, Dave lived in Fishers. Eric, his son, who's with the business, was raised here in Fishers. And it was, it was coming home. But I don't think they could be happier, too. And they're excited about what's going to happen with the trail next, next to the building. When you uh, embarked on this this uh, this adventure of being on the Fisher City Council, did you set any particular goals for yourself that you wanted accomplished, let's say, during this current four-year term that you're in? Well, initially when I ran for office, uh, for me, one of the big things that we needed to put in place was the comprehensive plan. Um, you know, I, I know I had a, a few conversations with Scott about it. That was part of my, you know, I guess campaign initiatives uh, when I was first running. Um, you probably know, and, and I think I can, you know, accurately say this because I had direct experience within the development uh, community. You know, I, I was involved with many projects and fishers. Um, and while there was, I'll call it a loose plan <laughs> for how we wanted to see our community development or develop, uh, there was not the comprehensive plan that we now have. And, you know, and I, I've said this, and I think others can appreciate this. We tended to be reactive to growth back, um, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s. Um, and that was fine. Yet, uh, as a developer, it was hard because you really couldn't rely on anything in advance. You didn't know what the, the town at that time wanted to see. And so, I mean, literally, Wes Booker, who was the planning director back then, would, you know, you'd meet with them and uh, he and his staff about uh, what your particular project was. And it was difficult to get a a clear direction. Now that's not the case. 
Um, and I think we'll need to continue to upgrade from what we did there. But the input by the community to develop that was tr- tremendous. It was a great process. Yeah, I heard the old uh, so-called comprehensive plan mostly collected dust. <laughs> that it was there, but uh, yeah, I think you're right. The town, and, and you can say it was right or wrong, was reactive. Well, the private sector would come to them with a, an idea like, well, okay. <laughs> but what the, what that sort of did is is it, it – it, it provided a kind of a growth that was not well planned. And you can say, well, you know, some people say, well, the private sector ought to control it. But on the other hand, should the city have some vision of where they're going? And and and, uh, and that's what a comprehensive plan is, is supposed to do. There is one now. There wasn't – there was, there was like you said, barely one uh, during the days of town. But I think that once we became a city, there was a very quick move to to go to a comprehensive plan, which is – an and if you haven't read it, it's, it's probably – <laughs> Getting that into the weeds may not be what you want to do unless you are a planner or a developer or something like that. But I I have to tell you this story, Rich. Somebody once sent me a message and said, what about that pedestrian bridge over the White River? And I said, I don't remember that being discussed. I go to almost all the meetings. Lo and behold, it was in the comprehensive plan, something to be done at some future and the person found it there. You know, if you find something you like, it's it's amazing. Um, you mentioned this already, and and you have served as one of the three council uh, members who serve on what's called the Fisher's Advisory Plan Commission. And one of the things that happened, one of the one of the responsibilities, I would say, for the plan commission is you hold public hearings on just about every major project, and even uh, residential projects, not just commercial. Um, I guess the uh, you you do have a background obviously in commercial real estate, but even beyond that, now that you've served on that commission for a number of years, what has that experience taught you, if anything? Well, I, I think we as a city now are are continuing to refine that process. Um, you know, one of the things that we've done, and I think you know this, is um, in advance. Speaking about residential uh, land development and home construction. Uh, one of the things that I think was a great idea is that we have a PUD because of most projects That's being planned, planned unit, unit developments. Development. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Um, but we actually have a PUD committee, so a planned unit development committee that will review in advance of it going to the plan commission the uh, architectural plans of the builder, the layout, and offer input. So it, it ten, tends to be uh, one that will even – give further guidance to the planning commission. But um, the other thing that we've done to change that process over the, I think it's the last year, really, although there's been some debate, quite frankly, on whether uh, we should go back to the format that we had previously. But that change was where the first readings, the public hearing portion of the planning commission was done in in advance of going to the council. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's debatable. I could make a case on both sides. Just explain that. When, When somebody comes with a proposal, is what's called a first reading before the city council. Just takes one vote for it to move forward to the next meeting. But and you're right. Uh, for many years, uh, you go to planning commission first, then you go to city or town council in the old days, and it would take one vote for it to go to the next reading, and, and it would take a unanimous vote to waive that and move forward amongst those who were there. So I, uh, what you're really saying here is it's, it's procedural thing, the, and, and the order in which you go. So how important is that? Do you think? 
Well, I, I think it's important for several uh, reasons. Number one, you know, for the general public, I think for them to understand what the process is. And for a lot of people, they don't really understand what that process is. I mean, you know, I've faced this so many times in so many different communities and, you know, it's a bit of an education process. It's natural when there's a rezoning or a, a, an area of land that it comes before us as a, a city and a community that the residents nearby adjacent to that property have concerns. I mean, that is understandable. You know, they, they have questions about what sort of development that may be. Uh, so it's difficult for them to understand, okay, at what opportunity do they have to uh, you know, speak in public about their concerns. You know, there are there are ways they can communicate, uh, written by email or letters, and and we we take those into account. But there is also the public hearing portion. So, I think it's important for the public to be able to understand what that process is. But then, even for us as as a or you know, let's say as as government officials and staff to understand what that process is too. And and to your uh, point about the way it used to be where we'd have the first reading at council. I know David George uh, does feel strongly that there's a benefit to having that first reading because, in fact, it gives council the opportunity to, to weigh in. Yet the counter to that is, um, does that diminish the role of the planning commission? You know, uh, you know, the planning commission, of course, is set up to make a recommendation. It doesn't have any true jurisdiction on the decision, yet uh, the council then takes into account their recommendation of, of what they'd like to see. And I cannot remember a case where the council didn't go along with the plan commission. There might have been some many years ago, uh, and most of the votes are unanimous, a plan commission. Every now and then there are, will be a, a no vote or two, and that's you know considered by the council. But the council has, has the final word, and of course there are three council members on the plan commission, so that keeps things going, you know, the, the communication going back and forth. But that is where the uh, law requires there be a public hearing is in the plan commission. Now, you know, sometimes the council will allow people to speak, uh, especially at third reading if they have strong feelings, but it's not required by law. That record is, is put together. But I love Warren Harling, who, who's chaired that com uh, commission for years. And I have sat through many long meetings in my you know, journalism career, but he has a very interesting way of handling this. He'll say – someone will get up and, and, and speak and he'll say, how many people agree with everything that person said? Now, raise your hands. You know exactly how many. Who has something to say that he hasn't said? <laughs> <laughs> OK. We know how many people have, feel the same way. You're all on the record and uh, we don't have to go up and listen to the same thing over and over And again. I appreciate that. <laughs> so do I, by the way. I did want to talk about one issue where you were not necessarily with your fellow council members, and that had to do with the bankruptcy of the Marsh supermarkets, which led to lots of vacant supermarket space, not just in Fishers, but in wide swaths of Indiana and some other states. So this had a, a big impact on a lot of communities uh, in and around Indiana when Marsh uh, went bankrupt. And it was kind of a slow roll for a while, then it finally ended uh, totally. The city council made the decision that the city should take control over what sort of uh, development or, or what will commercially – what commercial activity was acceptable in those spaces. And, and that the, 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 as I recall, and the argument was the city has a responsibility to make sure that fits into other commercial activity in the city in that particular area where that marsh once was housed. You voted no on that. Explain why you had a difference of opinion from most of your fellow council members. Sure. Yeah. Thank you, Larry. And I think I was the the sole dissenting. You were the vote. sole dissenter. Yes. Um, and um, 
I think, well, what I would say is I, I, first of all, respected the intent of why this was brought forward. Uh, the intent being to really uh, prevent there being, you know, objectionable uses. Because as you know, uh, the way the properties were zoned, it could uh, house a, a host of different type of retail uses. And rather than mention particular types, you can imagine that there were certain types that were more concerning to backfill those grocery store spaces. Um, and I think that was really the driving force between or be, b- b- why it was initiated. The consternation I had was that I felt like it was it was not our place. It was not our place as the government to make those type of decisions. It was furthermore and, and probably more importantly, not fair to the property owners. Um, you know, they, I, and I, I believe very strongly in property owner rights, good or bad. I mean, that is what rights exist are, are ones that the property owner should be allowed to uh, take advantage of. And, um, you know, honestly, you know, my worry was that there could have been a, a claim for an inverse condemnation, if you will, as a property owner. Because Explain what that means. Sure. So it would be like a taking of the property because now the property owner who formerly had uh, all of the rights to use that building uh, for what the current zoning ordinance allowed for. So a host of commercial uses, not specifically w- the way the ordinance was that those buildings had to be grocery store uses. Um, and, and as a property owner, you can appreciate that they're wondering, you know, what their next phase of that building may be and they need a tenant. So but, ahead, course, but the one thing I would add to that, just to add to the, and it's, it was a complex issue. It was. The other part of that complexity is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, did Kroger not buy the rights to all those properties? So Kroger uh, all of a sudden held uh, the leaseholds of the property, however the situation were, either the building or the leasehold on that property. Therefore, uh, the worry by some, and I'll just, and Kroger, I don't want to criticize Kroger. They've been a very good corporate citizen wherever they go. I've seen them pass out multiple checks to local charities, and and I think they do make a very strong effort to be a a good corporate citizen. But there were some people who were concerned that, you know, Kroger being a a commercial operation looking uh, to be profitable in a very tough environment right now might have just chosen to keep those properties vacant so they wouldn't have competition down the street. So with how did that factor into your your view on this? Well, you know, I, I recognize that that possibility could have existed and quite frankly was probably the reason they bought them or certainly wanted to control what went in there. Um, you know, they they didn't want a grocery store. I'm I'm imagining that was the primary motivator for them doing what they did. I think probably we all understand why that probably was the case. Um, but uh, uh Back to repeat the question again. I well, want to the make thing sure. is, yeah, just to make sure I, I have this right. I just want you to just kind of finish up the thought as to as to why you voted no on on the uh, control of use over those for, former Marsh stores. I think you've explained most of it, but kind of finish up your thought and and factor in this whole issue where Kroger may not want competition. Sure, sure. I just I don't think it's ever our position as the city to control a market. Um, and, and, you know, we can influence, you know, and, and make decisions on uses and the appropriateness of those uses, but I, I, I don't think it's our decision to uh, strictly control it. I remember a, a case before us, I believe it was when Stuart Easley was on the council, and we had a little bit of a debate over, it was a medical 
uh, office use. I think they even had some surgery rooms within the the, uh, the building. And, and the discussion was one where Stewart wanted to know, I mean, to the detail of how many surgery rooms, do we place limits on those, you know, surgery rooms within the medical office space? And, you know, again, I don't think it's our place to make those kind of decisions. I mean, a business needs to be in this at that time was a medical, you know, use, uh, obviously healthcare services, they need to be able to respond to the market and make decisions to that market. And I'm, I'm a market purist, I guess, if, if you will, in a lot of ways that, that there, there's a balance between, what the market will support and what we can do as, as a government. But that, to me, was uh, overstepping, if you will, our bounds. Anytime you're on a city council, really in any elected position where decisions come before you, you've got to make some tough decisions. And I just thought, what were the three toughest decisions I can remember covering the council? You can add some if you wish. But I looked at the toughest three decisions you as council members had to make would be the decision to increase your pay because it hadn't been increased for 20 years. And that was your argument there. You enacted the wheel tax to fund road projects, which are being funded Mm -hmm. this year, in fact. Uh, And also, uh, you made the decision to raise stormwater fees because they had not been raised for a long time. And you were trying to – and the argument there is you're, you're protecting clean water and flooding issues all throughout the city. My question with all that as a background is when you face a tough vote like that, how do you evaluate what to do and how are you going to use your vote on the council? Well, uh, I think you're uh, very observant naturally about that, about what those decisions are and the fact that they they are not always easy. Uh, for me, though, I mean, it's I guess it's easier in that, I mean, I, I feel like I'm going to vote my conscience. And that is generally... Uh, you know, it's not to be insensitive. That's that's not the case. But I, I feel like I've kind of factored that into my decision making. Um, and, you know, honestly, while I love serving, I mean, I'm not going to let any one decision be the reason, you know, if I if I vote a certain way because I'm worried about being reelected, that is a total non-factor to me. Um, I, I mentioned I wasn't even sure I was going to run again. But, um, you know, perhaps that gives me a little more liberty, but that's not uh, really – the point I, I do want to address, though, at least two of those uh, decisions specifically, uh, you know, the council decision to raise pay. Uh, I don't know that anybody on the council does it for the pay, um, and I certainly don't. Um, I think you're paid what roughly twenty thousand now, and it was like four or five thousand before that. No, no, I think it was about twelve or so. It was twelve, okay, L- was eleven little, five or twelve. It was eleven five or twelve, and then it was raised to roughly twenty thousand. Yeah, I think it was nineteen, nineteen okay. five or something mm-hmm. like that. But to your point, I don't think it was raised from like two thousand and three, something like that. It was it was a long, long time. Uh, but for me, the reason I voted for it and made it easy is. You know, what I'd hate to do is limit it to, you know, someone who's got a more limited salary, such as a teacher or somebody else who, who, who can bring value to the council, but has to make a decision about time and, you know, their resources. The facts are, you know, your hourly rate is very low no matter what, but I just don't want that to be a reason why someone wouldn't run. Um, and then to the wheel tax, um, you know, again, 
you know, I think, honestly, uh, we're getting to the age of a city. I know David makes this point repeatedly uh, that we need we need to reinvest in our infrastructure. Not only that, but we need to to, you know, address, let's say, infrastructure capacity issues, whether that be uh, throughput on, you know, major roads. It may be, you know, sewer enhancements, those sorts of things, you know, as we've grown and aged you know, what do we need to do? So uh, this was a way that the uh, the money would be directly used for those sorts of improvements. Yeah, you mentioned David George a couple of times. He's, I think, the longest serving member on the council going back to the town council days. And he's an engineer by trade. And so I think when it comes to an engineering situation, everybody on the council listens to what he has to say. Uh, I want to go back to the uh, planning issue, if I can. Uh, because uh, there was a recent issue that came up that was pushed by Councilman Dreamer, and he had a concern about handoffs from developers to homeowners associations, in particular neighborhoods. And he said that he was patterning his proposal after an ordinance that had already passed in Carmel. There was a lively debate at the Plan Commission. It went to city council, and right, and then it went back to staff, and the staff came back and the, and the mayor said I, – I, his basic point was uh, I'm willing to look at bad actors, people who are not doing the basics that they're supposed to be doing as developers. That you know, I don't think we should be putting a microscope under everything they do. But if there's clear issues of negligence, for example, uh, we should be able to deal with that as a city. You really wrestled with this. And as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, there was an amendment made at the city council. Now it goes back to the plan commission to be considered again. I could tell by the look on your face. You struggled with that vote about what to do with it. But you did vote to send it back to planning commission. Just give me a little bit of your sure. thinking around that, that whole issue. Sure. And I think um, the, the planning commission uh, had similar concerns about that. And I would say um, – Absolutely, I respect why Brad was putting forth the the ordinance and the concerns. And you know, to your point, um, it's not to single out any any particular party, but I do think that there's a concern generally to 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 make sure there's not a a bad apple bad apple that there's poor workmanship that is either intentionally or not done for a project that might ultimately have to be. Uh, the homeowners association responsibility. So I, I respect why that was the case. Um, I just felt like there was perhaps another way to go about it. And also, I think the planning commission shared my own feelings, which was that we didn't want to overregulate. We didn't want to have another ordinance if we didn't have to. So I think those were probably the biggest issues, Larry. Okay. Well, time does uh, go <laughs> by pretty fast uh, when you're doing this. I, I want to ask you one Last question uh, before I get to the final question, which is just uh, you talking about yourself. I do want to know about the kind of vision you had for the city when you first ran for city council back in, in 2014. You looked at the city then. You look at it now. What do you see? It's dramatic, the change that we have. And um, I'll, I'll use, and, and perhaps maybe this leads into your final question, but um, my own family, you know, we, we moved here in 93, I think a few years after you did. That's right. And so we've seen quite a bit of change uh, over that period. Uh, we raised our family here. Now our children are 28, 27, uh, 24, and 20. And um, uh, three of them, the oldest three, all live out side of Indiana, one in San Francisco, two in Chicago. But I, I use them as an example where 
uh, and I've heard this mentioned before, w- that I think what we want to do is be able to attract uh, people like my own children, um, but uh, professionals, young professionals who, you know, they may have a, a bunch of different experience. In fact, I hope that as many of the youth that, you know, graduate from HSE and our schools go out, you know, experience the world and come back and bring great ideas back to Fishers. Um, but for, for my own children, they love what's happening. We now have that sense of place. We have that downtown. And it's exciting to for, to them to see what's happened. And, you know, I don't know ultimately where they'll be, but I know that Fishers is going to be a consideration for them. Um, so we'll see. But, it, you know, that, that, that makes me feel good that we're heading in the right direction, even for my own children. But I, I've heard that repeatedly. Uh, from so many others. And, uh, you know, I think even even those who elect to, to go to the workforce and stay in Fishers uh, right after school, and there are, are increasing, there are an increasing number of options there. I mean, that's, that's terrific, too. Last question, as I warned. Uh, just imagine I'm one of your constituents. I'm uh, going to be voting in the Republican primary in the city of Fishers. You're at large, so you Anybody in Fishers who wants to vote in the Republican primary can vote for you or one of your opponents. So my question to you is why uh, – somebody asked Mr. Block, why should I vote for you and not maybe your opponent? What would your answer be? Well, I would start with what I mentioned earlier. First of all, I'm going to vote my conscience uh, no matter uh, what um, the tide may be, if you will, um, that I'm going to factor into account what – the constituents, my constituents want to see the the residents, but really I'm going to look at it from a, a, a greater per, a community perspective and, and try and think about what's best for us as a community. Um, I, uh, I, I wasn't sure I was going to run again, but I really am happy to do that. Uh, I feel like I bring that business perspective to the council, and, and there are many others on the council who have similar or different business backgrounds. I, I believe, though, that you know, my, my strengths are my real estate and business. I'm a you know, private business owner since 1995 and before, um, and you know, uh, for me, I think that brings a lot of value where I can add input. I don't want to be the guy to be the the cog in the wheel. That is absolutely not the case. And I want to be respectful of what uh, others like Scott Fadness and others in the maybe in the council uh, may be doing. But uh, I also think a, a healthy debate at times is good. It, I think it can better, uh, let's say, what you know we may be considering. And that's that's really my goal is to better what we're doing. Rich Block is an incumbent uh, at-large city councilman for the city of Fishers. He's running for re-elections. Rich Block, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Larry. My thanks to Rich Block for taking the time to speak with me. Primary Election Day is Tuesday, May 7th, with early voting available beginning in mid-April. This is the Larry in Fishers podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I write the LarryInFishers.com local news blog from Fishers, Indiana, a suburban community northeast of Indianapolis. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. We'll talk again.